Hello, and welcome to this episode of the World of Work podcast. It is the fourth and final episode of our special four-part series on cultic organizations. In it, we speak to friend of the show and special guest Stephen Mather about cultic organizations with a specific focus on the role of purpose. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is another one of those tie-ins, those collaborations, um, and it's uh, great to have Jane and James back to talk about, I suppose, cultic tendencies within business or businesses' tendency to operate in potentially cultic ways and how that might affect what we do. So great to have you back again. Lovely. Thank you for uh, bringing us all back together again. It's lovely. I've really enjoyed these conversations for the last times we've had them, and I, I look forward to them, and we kind of get lost in them, which is exciting. So it's great Absolutely. to be back again. Yeah, yeah it's really, I'm... really lovely to be back here. And um, like James says, it's been a little bit of a break, and mm. it's amazing when you have a little bit of a break and those ideas are percolating, how often you look around you in your work and in the world, and you're like, hmm, yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thing I've just seen there, and I know that I've spotted. And I think James got a couple of things to mention as well about this later on. But like spotted things that I'm like before, I probably would have passed me by blithely. And since our first couple of conversations, I'm like, hmm, not sure how I feel about that anymore. So yeah, lovely yeah, to be back. I think I think that's right. Um, yeah, when, whenever you start thinking about something, you you spot it everywhere. In fact, that has a name, doesn't it? The Bider Meinhof. Um, effect apparently uh, I'm so glad you pronounced wow. that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's right but yes um, interesting stuff right okay well James you're kind of leading our conversation today um, so I'll, I'll hand over to you and um, and let you you kick off for us yeah absolutely thank you um, so we're, we're building on some of the conversations we've had about these cultic practices and today we're going to zoom in a little bit on the role of purpose um, purpose in the workplace, purpose in our lives, and that sort of intermeshing of uh, the increase of purpose in uh, our employment and in and in the work that we do. Um, we just want to talk about it, explore it a little bit, and and I, I just like to explore a little bit if there are any darker sides to it, and anything just to be aware of in it. Um, and I guess to just to kick off, I just want to acknowledge straight up that even talking about purpose and work is a bit of a privilege in itself. So. Uh, as we've seen the, the, you know, the change in narrative about purpose and work, we're very much talking about people who are able to search for purpose in their work and able to, you know, look for more from their work. And, and you know, a lot of people aren't in a position to to do that as much as others. So, so many people are working to simply pay a bill and and get some income and face into necessity. So we know it's a privileged place to be speaking about this, but it's still a really interesting space to be speaking about because there's so much, um, so much, I guess, attention on it at the moment. And what I, what I was going to do is I'd found a quote and I just want to start off today with uh, sharing a quote. If I can read like, you know, an 80 word quote in one go, we'll see. Go for uh, it. And then I've got some questions. So the quote's by um, an academic at the University of Michigan called uh, Aaron Check, And the quote says, according to my research, which draws on surveys and interviews with college students, graduates, and career coaches, more than 75% of college-educated workers believe that passion is an important factor in career decision-making. And 67% of them say they would prioritize meaningful work over job stability, high wages, and work-life balance. Believers in this idea 
trust that passion will inoculate them against the drudgery of working long hours on tasks that they have little personal connection to. For many, following their passion is not only a path to a good job, it is the key to a good life. So that's like, that's quite a big, big sort of summary statement mm-hmm. there. Um, and I just want to come in, I guess, with a, a big question. And um, I guess I'll, I'll come uh, to you first, Stephen. How do you think having an increased sense of purpose affects individual employees, so individuals in the workplace, and, and maybe affect their performance or well-being or contribution to the workplace? Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really relevant question for our discussion around cultic tendencies in the workplace because it, it is something that cults are very very good at doing it's it's that they're very good at uh, generating a sense of meaning and purpose um you know in fact it's it's almost exemplary <laughs> um if you ignore all the, the bad things they are very very good at creating the sense of meaning and purpose in the main um but i think yeah i i, I think there is good evidence that workers so if we're thinking just purely about normal employment now i think there's a lot of good evidence that that workers who feel that they are part of something that they have uh, a meaning that they even they have a calling if you like to do something um do perform better so you know they tend to uh, try harder they are generally if they're customer facing they're more um willing to go that extra mile for the customer um so yeah i think i think there's good evidence that increased sense of purpose in the job encourages uh better performance and what do you what do you think the impact it it has on their i guess their well-being or, or their state of play or that relationship they have with the, the employer in this instance is yeah I, th- I think potentially it it can be it can be very positive so so long as your purpose is aligned to the organization's purpose and this is obviously is is the trick for organizations um i think so long as it is aligned then there there can be a sense that you know um i actually love coming to work because i'm actually doing something that i i find valuable in some way um in the podcast with with Celine, we, we've talked about this concept of emotional labour, which is where I think that there might be a well, just one of the many potential darker sides, if you like, within this idea of meaning and purpose. So, you know, if you work in a, a care home, for instance, um, one of the things that the employer really wants is that you actually care about the the residents in that care home and of course you're then expected to give more than just your labor and your skills and your work you're actually being expected to give of yourself your emotions um and that's um that on the face of it that sounds really really good and progressive and i think it probably is but there there are dangers with that in that it puts a heavier burden on the individual and there's often not any remuneration for that, that extra burden that's being put on the individual. So I think, um, yeah, it, it can be it can be good, um, but there is this danger of emotional labour where people are being expected to go the extra mile in terms of, of their own emotions and their own self. And there is also a risk that that gets exploited. And that's, I think, where we get into the cult 
world. So it, it it creates a potential imbalance of power because although it feels progressive, um, it means that now not only is your livelihood dependent upon this job, but your sense of self and self-worth is also tied into the job. And that means that the employer, you know, potentially has quite a lot of power over you. And for me, I think that is super interesting, but also really problematic in all the ways you say. And for this reason, if if we think about it, a lot of the research suggests that um, purpose is one of the things that gives us well-being, right? So whether we look at the PERMA model from Seligman, whether we start looking at some of the motivation theories, we can see purpose is something that humans seek and get benefit from. And I'm going to leave it as general as that, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like work, big inverted commas work, and by work, I probably mean organizations, see that and think, hey, instead of the other things we can give people, money, benefits, structure, free time, um, we we could see if we could give them purpose and then we wouldn't need to give them as much of everything else. And I, I absolutely don't think, firstly, I don't think that's innately terrible at, to a, to a dis, distinct degree, nor do I think it's deliberate. And that's the intention for a lot of organizations. It's kind of evolved that way. But what I would say is that I think if there is a, ve- like all things in life, right, there is a really fine line between doing that as one of multiple things you get from work and exploiting it such that you don't have to do the other things. So the example I will give you is uh, UK um, organized labor action, right? So doctors historically have never striked in the UK or very, very, very rare. I think they were part of the general strike and that was it in the 20s. Um, And they certainly haven't striked in a walkout sense, right? And that is primarily because their purpose is drawn upon to say no, you are a doctor first and therefore you can't be responsible. Now, of course, I understand that's a really complex conversation, not straightforward, but I do see that narrative exploited by the government, which in the UK is the primary healthcare employer, to in order to shape how doctors think about what they do and don't have as their rights and behavior. And it's like saying, oh, because your purpose is this, you don't deserve the same rights as everyone else. And I always think about Stephen, we, 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 there was a piece of research on zookeepers that we saw in our like very That's first right. week, right, yeah. of yeah. our masters. And it was about how people in zoos, they don't get paid extra for going in on Christmas Day to feed the animals. But what are they going to do? Starve the animals? Exactly. No, they're not. And, and mm-hmm. for me, I think I, we work a lot in the charity sector in the UK. And I feel like it's even more important as organizations to sense check that you're not drifting towards that cultic uh, encouragement of purpose and obsessiveness about purpose because you have a responsibility to make sure that your people are not feeling like they that purpose overrides their fundamental human rights I guess is what I'm saying I think there's some lovely stuff in there I, some of the words you've used so far I made a little note of some of them um, Stephen when you were speaking earlier you spoke about people loving to carry on with their work and that real sense of, of love is such a powerful mm-hmm. word um, and we've talked about deliberation and we've talked about, you know, exploiting. So there's a lot of this intermeshing that's, that's really in there. 
Um, and I think there's something really interesting in this idea of creating something of value, uh, which is this sense of purpose. If, 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 you know, that is a production process, that's a generative process where somebody is creating a usable good or a usable asset that, that is of value. And that, that value of that asset is to potentially the employee or the person doing the work. And it's potentially to the organization benefiting from that love of, a love of work as well. And for me, it really feels like there's something to be aware of in that division of benefits. So how do we manage that demarcation of who receives which aspect of those, those benefits? And, and I kind of would postulate that if an employer or organization were to receive too much of that benefit, then that would be unfair. And that's when we slip into that exploitative state. However, when we do it the other way, then it less so. But um, one last thing that was in my mind, and, and then I'll come back to, you, to both of you. I've seen you both speaking, uh, ready to speak. Um, when we were speaking about the doctors, I think that was a really interesting conversation. And one of the things that, that struck me is, I think doctors go into their profession knowing in advance that the Hippocratic Oath is about service mm. and, and seeing it as a profession that's very much anchored in this underlying purpose, probably more than people perhaps going to work in a call center or wherever it happens to be. So I think there's something about that knowledge and transparency in the front of um, an employment experience that, that's important as well. Stephen, you were, I, I kind of interrupted you there. Were you going to build on it? No, I was just, just going to... Um say that i think it's probably our listeners might be a bit confused why we're talking about meaning and purpose in relation to cultic tendencies so um i i thought maybe just to uh, re-emphasize why why this is a potential issue so i think we all see the value of, of people feeling engaged in the workplace and wanting to uh, you know, feel like they're doing something. You know, I worked, I remember the first time I worked in the food industry, I remember going around um, the local supermarkets, pointing out to my wife all the, oh, we do that, we do that. You know, all the different products that we I'd seen go down the, the belt. Um, and I felt a little bit of pride, even though I, I actually didn't, you know, I, I hadn't touched any of those products at all. I was in IT, but it just just made me feel a bit, proud and I think that sort of thing you can really see that there's value in that and, and I've always wanted to when I've worked with teams you know I've wanted them to feel that sense of you know even if it's only a ready meal that you're producing there's something kind of nice about about being able to see what you've done so okay it's not a grand purpose but it is a, a something tangible that you've done um, so what's the problem? Um, and the answer is not, there isn't necessarily a problem, but there is something about cults that um, use that uh, need for purpose and they then exploit people. So a good example of that is groups and, and the group I was uh, a member of, um, for instance, um, building projects um, that would take a lot of effort, a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of energy and skills uh, um, a lot of those building projects that furthered the interest of the organization were were done through volunteer labor. And the only reason you would do that, you know, you would stand on a brick chain or you would uh, climb up a roof and, um, you know, 
suddenly become a roofer or a plumber or something. And the only reason you would do that is because you felt you were contributing to something bigger than yourself. And, um, and it was something that you wanted to do because of the feeling of meaning and purpose of being part of this organization. Um, of course, what happens then is that these properties are built and then they're sold and the money or for those properties are then uh, raked in by the organization and, and done with what whatever they they will. So the, the individuals within those groups don't see any benefit from those things. It's just the organization. And I personally think that's an exploitative practice. Um, there is a risk that some businesses have a similar model. And, and that's why I think we're talking about it in the same breath. I think... I think that's really interesting and that's really helpful for thinking about why we're talking about it. But I, I want to expand on that question a little bit because I have seen uh, lots of local community organisations um, in parts of both Manchester and London, two cities in the UK, um, where communities get together and they share their labour and that labor may be for something that they then are going to enjoy, or that labor may be something that benefits someone else in the community. Um, and I think indeed barn raising has been a huge thing in the US where communities mm-hmm. come together and help a, a family potentially get their house together. And I think, and I guess the reason I'm, I'm, I'm asking about this is because to what extent do you draw the line of saying, I am getting something from contributing to that because I'm getting a sense of contributing to the bigger picture, which we know is a motivating factor, right? Connection in self-determination theory, we feel connected to other people. Um, So I'm getting something from that that's non-financial. And at what point does it become exploitative? Whether it's some of the organizations you talk about in terms of cultic practices or whether it's a charity that is seeking people to help them build a um, allotment patch or develop an allotment patch for the local school. What what's the what's the difference? Do you, do you think? And how do we draw the line between brilliant community activity <laughs> and exploitative intervention? Yeah, so I think that's a great question, and I suppose the first thing I would would say to that is uh, transparency. So. I think there needs to be absolute transparency about what is being done, how the funds are being used, how, if it's like building a, 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 doing a building project, you know, how that end product is going to be used. Um, And, you know, a lot of these groups, um, at least some of these cults that we talk about are registered charities. So um, by no means am I, am I saying that all charities are cults, you know, of course not. Um, I think it's really, really important that we have a healthy charity sector, and um, it's it's a great way to, um, to to use our labor to help others. Absolutely, but the charities have a responsibility, in my view, to be transparent about the money they take, what they're going to do with the, those projects, um, and unfortunately, with these groups, often that is not the case. Essentially, you just either hand over your cash or you do your your work and you are then left powerless about what's going to happen and even complete in the dark about what actually has happened. And I think the other thing I would add transparency is autonomy, right? So you should be able to leave and not feel like it's going to hinder you. And the reality is my understanding and, and you'll correct, you know, feel free to give me more detail. 
But like my understanding is that it is an explicit expectation that you better have a good reason if you're not going to be part of that. And you may, in some senses, be weakening your bond with the group. And I think it's it's really interesting because psychologically, in a small like, I uh, I know someone who was involved in one of those projects and they stepped away, and definitely the the bond with the group weakened. They were a little bit like, oh well, they didn't get involved at the end. But the difference is, it wasn't a formalized, organized, structured. Well, you're no longer entitled to certain things because of that. And I think. I don't know. I feel like that importance of being able, having the free will to always step away and it not affecting any other part of your life feels important somehow. There's um, something that, that feels important to me within all this as well, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think it goes back to that sense of fairness of allocation of benefit generated. So if if benefits are generated fairly, or sorry, if benefits are generated and and received fairly by the contributors and the organizers then it kind of seems okay right if it feels like a bit of an equal exchange then it feels okay i believe so volunteering is a great thing to do provided somebody is not then significantly proper uh, profiting disproportionately from my contribution in whatever format that happens to be and and i think trying to define that fair demarcation between who gets what um Defining where that demarcation feels fair is a really hard thing to do. Um, I was just going to come in with another quote again from Erin Check at the University of, of Michigan. And she says, my research finds that employers prefer workers who find their jobs fulfilling precisely because passionate employees often provide additional uncompensated labor. And there are all kinds of words in there, right? So, so when when she says uncompensated, for me clearly that is a unfinancially compensated. But we could be generating something else else in there. But that speaks to me slightly of an intent around this. What what do you think the role is of that, or, or what would you reflect on that, Jane? You were about to say something. I just I think I think it's really interesting what she says, but I would I would be interested to know whether managers also like employees with purpose or who are motivated in that way because um they get less resistance from a not just from an effort and an amount point of view but from a perspective of like actually doing the work um so I think there's definitely a thing about I don't know I just feel like um I'm really struggling with this, this whole area, because on the one hand, I feel like it's a very financial conversation is where it comes from. And I I have massive concerns about exploitation from a financial point of view. Um, And I think there's nothing, you know, I'm a a subscriber of Clement Attlee, you know, then there's nothing that people can do for society more than pay their taxes happily. And there's nothing organizations can do more for society than pay their staff well. But at the same time, I think people do deserve the freedom to give more should they choose to but I think they need to be informed well informed by that and I think organizations need to be policed not to exploit it and I and I don't I don't know how you do that because what struck me James is you said well you know we have to see we have to you know find a way to do that such that it's fair and you acknowledge that's a very difficult thing I'd go further I don't think it's possible because I don't you know you well you know what I think about this I don't think what's fair to you is what's fair to me we have different understandings and I think as humans, our, our ideas and understanding of fairness are very different. And therefore, if it if it's fair in the eyes of, well, I have the autonomy and I have the space and time and I'm retired and I can give all of my labor for free, 
Is that is there anything wrong with that? I don't know. Question. Yeah, I I, I think so. There's a couple of things I I'd, I'd like to add. So I don't have an easy answer to that. I, I think it is, you know, uh, it's it's like a lot of these things. There's not a bright dividing line uh, between exploitation and providing an opportunity for somebody to give of their labor for free if they want to. But I think there are some things that, that would sound alarm bells for me. So I've mentioned one of those in that, um, that the power differential. So the, the people that are being expected to do all the giving of their labor for free, where do they sit within the organization? How much autonomy do they have? How much agency, agency do they have? So, um, you started, um, James, our discussion saying that, you know, it is a slightly privileged situation to be able to talk about purpose in the workplace. But if you can imagine a, um, a, you don't have to imagine it. If we, if we can observe an organization that employs people on a minimum wage, you know, um, or less, I was about to say, um, through some technicality that sometimes happens. Um, if you can imagine an organization like that, um, whilst I, I can see that the the managers, the senior team, the senior managers might be expected to do extra, you know, because it is part of their career, it's part of their project. But I have real concerns about the people at the bottom of that ladder still being expected to uh, give more than they're being remunerated for because of a purpose. So, you know, as a as an evil employer, um, stroke cult leader, you know, I'm rubbing my hands together thinking, how can I get people to do extra work without paying them? I know I'll make them feel really good about it or feel bad for not doing it. You know, so that's a manipulation for me. And whilst, um, yeah, you can always... I think it, there's always going to be muddy waters around this area, but I think there is a sniff test, there is a smell test around this that, you know, I think there's some relevance in just saying, what does this actually look like? If it if it smells like um, exploitation and it sounds like exploitation, then let's call it what it is. And I think there are employers in the country and throughout the world who are exploiting their workforce. Now, maybe it's not a cult, um, but cults also do it, and the the best way of exploiting people is is when they do it happily. You know, when when the people you're exploiting actually do it with a smile on their face, and that's how cults operate. So this is all like hugely, hugely fascinating. We we had the word in there expected to give, and we talk about intent, and I think there very much is something about. Um, the sniff test. I, I, it feels like the sniff test is probably the best test we've got to deal with this because really it's so <laughs> complex and impossible. Yeah, yeah. But as you were speaking, I, I was thinking about something else, which I think is is difficult. If, if we want to move away a little bit from the risk of some of this, because I, like you, I believe that there is an intentional exploitation in some areas. I, I think we might need to think about the fact that some areas seem to be intrinsically more purpose-oriented for, for people than others. So we've talked already about the caring profession. We've talked about service professions. We've talked about animal professions. And I wonder if at a structural level within those industries, 
it's going to be really hard to fight away from potential exploitation because there is such an innate draw to this. So even if you are one organization that is trying to do things differently, potentially your pricing structures mean that you cannot raise your prices to provide a fair exchange for the people working there because other people in other areas are um, absorbing that benefit of a purpose in terms of lowering the prices. So it feels like there could be this sort of structural challenge around areas that are particularly prone to high levels of a sense of purpose for individuals. I think that's right. And and for me, that, that then behooves um, the managers um, of those organizations to be aware of that potential. Um, so here's an example. Um, a, a care worker or a team of care workers uh, working in a, a residential care home for elderly people. Um, we could even say it's end of life care. Um, so these these are people that um, they're looking after these residents, sometimes in very intimate ways. They're having to look after them um, in very vulnerable situations, and they do become attached to many of, of the, the people they're looking after. Of course, they do. You know, some of these um, obviously I've experienced relatives in some of these uh, residential care homes, and it, it sometimes brings you to tears the the love and warmth of these these staff you know they're absolutely wonderful um and when one of these residents sadly passes away which of course happens on not too infrequent uh, an occasion what do we then expect from the care workers do we expect them to go to the funeral for instance do we expect them to um all line up um to to, to say goodbye to this person um and i think there is a natural feeling that you might want to to do that as an individual, but I think there's a duty of care from the management team to just be aware of the emotional impact that that is having. So that's just an example. There's lots of others, of course, but when you are when you are a manager in a business that is very high level, purpose driven, if you like, you know, and, and has a tendency to to encourage people to think that way, then I think there's a there's a responsibility on the business to make sure that doesn't happen. And just on that example, I feel like, so I, th- I do think a lot of rights and responsibilities in Britain, even beyond work, tend to get uh, structured and designed through workplace legislation, right? So a lot of our diversity and inclusion um, work in the UK generally comes through employment legislation. That's where often it comes, right? And I think there's something really interesting about the example you give of, okay, so if you want these people to care, are you giving them compassionate leave? Are you giving them time off to go to the funeral? Are you giving them time to recover? Are you making workplace adjustments for them as they go through that experience of grief? Yeah. Um, or are you expecting them to go back to work? In which case, it's you don't get to I guess I guess I don't like the idea that they're picking both sides, but you're recruiting people to a role with the intention of caring, but you're saying there has to be a limit. And I'm I don't know if people do that or organizations do that, but it certainly feels problematic and feels like it needs enhanced safeguarding around or enhanced um structure around making sure that it's not exploited, but also that there's not real unrealistic expectations. Yeah. It's interesting. And and we've come back a little bit a few times to the sort of frameworks in which we structure our ways of working. Um, and I guess to some extent, the regulation that exists around, around this. Um, 
It feels to me, and I don't know how true this is, it feels to me that the rise of the purpose motive, or it feels to me that there has been a rise of purpose as a factor in the workplace as individuals have moved to work that can be more discretionary. So if you are, um, you know, if, if you're in a, in a role with a really fixed amount of time or, uh, you know, say a fixed eight hour day session or something where, where you're on a, a really more formulaic role where there's less scope for over and above contribution and there's less um, probably uh, attractiveness for employers to increase that sense of purpose that you have because there's only going to be so much marginal gain to them in, in doing so. But as we've moved as at least a lot of this country towards spaces where there is scope for more upside from having more purpose, it feels like there's been a, a rise of, of that purpose. And again, just thinking about what you said, I, I wonder if in the past things like wealth and uh, wealth accumulation were, were core motivators uh, or potentially core motivators for, for some of the some individuals, along with stability in the workplace. It feels like if we've got to a stage where a lot of people have had some of those needs met, we're looking for ways to differentiate ourselves and celebrate our own levels of achievement in the world. And 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 I sometimes wonder if having that sense of purpose becomes a bit of a competitive good in itself. So if we're you know if we're out at the pub or in a coffee shop with our friends, if I can say, oh, you're getting paid loads of money, but you're just doing your thing and and it's useless, and I'm getting paid not quite as much money, but boy, am I making the world a better place? That feels like a competitive asset f- for me to have. What's your view on that? Do you think we're we're sort of moving to like a, a competitive have have not world of purpose? We're keying in here to a fundamental, um, I believe, a fundamental need which um, is that you, know, you feel that you have some purpose. Um, his name escapes me now, a fam- very famous um, psychoanalyst who was a concentration camp survivor. Yeah, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, that's it. Um, you know, uh, uh, and I, I do subscribe to that. I think that we it's a very natural human instinct. And, you know, not everybody expresses that in the same way, but I think we do have a feeling that we want to find some sort of meaning and purpose that could be around our families. It could be around our um, profession. It could be around our job, but we're all looking for some, for something to, to, to say, yeah, this is, this is my, this is my meaning and purpose. So I think that's, that's a natural feeling and yes, work, Potentially, the workplace can provide uh, an opportunity to to find that. Um, workplaces that, you know, I work in business improvement and um, one of the things that I talk to managers about is, right, how can you create a vision that the rest of the team, um, in fact, how can you jointly generate a vision that everybody can get behind um i talk about not talking about so much about buy-in because buy-in means you're a salesperson um actually better to try and generate that sense of vision through working with the team and actually together you can find what that vision is going to be like so yeah um i think that's that's a natural place to go um, are we as a society becoming more interested in meaning and purpose? And is that a 
Uh, is that a form of currency that we can then brag about to our mates down the pub instead of our big car? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it is it is a possible. I mean, I, I must say, I, I sort of do the same in a way. I, I some of my colleagues, you know, they spend so much of their time away from their families, working really, really hard. They've got a bigger house than me. They've got newer cars and uh, motorbikes and boys' toys and so on. Um, but I always say to them, you know, that I, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. I have a podcast that doesn't give me any money at all. So, you know, talk about being exploited. I'm exploiting myself in many respects. Um, so, yeah, I think that's possible. Maybe that is a currency that, that we, we may start to, to use. I think a, a purely material oriented lifestyle has been seen to leave us a bit cold over the last hundred years or so. So maybe it's time that we, we thought more about purpose. I think so. It's interesting, isn't it? I think for me, I've seen that wave come over the last maybe decade or so from some of the early adopter organizations, particularly. And I think there's an irony to this, right? I think there have been big organizations who have done this in a way that is somewhat intentional to extract more value from their labor, right? Mm. Oh, you're going to come and work with us and it's going to be amazing. And we've talked about that in other podcasts, in other episodes, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I think what's really interesting is, and I don't know how much this is to do with the changes in the world over the last couple of years, or just more generally, is people are, because people move around jobs, and they do, right? That's We move around jobs more than we did 40, 50 years ago. Um, I think people are more aware that or developing a better awareness that purpose is something they want in their life but it doesn't have to come from work and I think also if you know my question is always so what with all this stuff like how does it help people my advice to someone would be build purpose outside of your work so that work doesn't need to perform that and therefore you can have a better negotiation with your workplace because you don't feel in any way like oh but they've got this thing I need so one of the things I see a lot with charities is you know I love this cause and therefore I'm hamstrung I'm stuck with it or I love this sport and therefore I've got nowhere else I can go I have to work for this organization if I want to work in this sport in the country this country and so I think if you can build your purpose outside of work then you offset some of the risks of being drawn into those somewhat cultic practices of, you know, I've said this to you before. I remember on the day I left my first proper job, someone had said to me, oh, you're a lifer. And the implication was we don't need to look after you in the same way because you care so much, you'll always stay. We need to worry about everyone else. And I just remember thinking, cool, that's a wake up call. Um, and I think, so I think there's something that I guess to people build your purpose outside of work and then you don't have to rely on work to give it to you and you can just have a fair exchange of labor for money and benefits, but also to people employing, if you want to be, I guess, ethical, I'm, I don't want to use this word because like ethical means so many things to different people. But from my perspective, if you want to be ethical, absolutely give people opportunities to purpose but support them to find purpose beyond their work and maintain it. So don't dwindle their work-life balance to the level where they lose all outside relationships such that they're effectively suffering some of the same challenges you've described in other episodes from a cult, right? Which is that they've got nowhere else to go and no other support of emotional support. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. I, I really like that. That's a very practical um, bit of advice, it feels to me. Um, I mean, the, the other thing that, that just struck me, there was um if you're in a if you're in a job 
where you are learning, you've you feel like it's a vocation, you are developing, and you are you feel that your purpose is tied to your profession, whatever that might be. That's one thing. If you feel that it's completely tied to that particular organization, then that's another, isn't it? So um, as a development person, as a trainer, as a coach and so on, I might think, well, that's my purpose. You know, I want to help people, to develop people. It's all about development. It's all about improving things. That's that's who I am. If I lose a contract or if I get made redundant from one business, my whole world hasn't collapsed because I can just look for another role that allows me to fulfill that. If I work for WeWork, who are telling me that, or used to tell me, I think they've changed a bit now, but if I work for the old WeWork, who are telling me that they're going to change the world, and it only through WeWork is this possible, then if I get made redundant from that, I'm devastated because I've just lost my meaning and purpose. And that, in a way, is exactly the way cults work. Because if you leave that cult, that's it. You know, you don't have any opportunities anymore. What you've learned in that cult isn't transferable to another church or another group. It, you're done. And so I, that's the problem. And I think, like, I can't remember the company, and I'm not going to call them out, but one of the very, 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 very large international tech firms, you know, you know the ones we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I remember reading stories that if you left that company, no one was allowed to talk to you, right? If you, particularly if you left for a competitor. Right? This is shunning, isn't it? it, it I mean, it's literally shunning. Mm. And I think one mm. of the really interesting things is we were talking, James and I were talking about supporting organizations to get better at saying goodbye to people. Um, so being more celebratory of someone's time with an organization. And I think I think it, it goes against so much of the narrative that's out there about what a good employment relationship looks like, that even people we, you know, in organizations we know that we think are great are like, oh, I've never really thought about celebrating someone leaving on why not they've got a new job it's amazing they're moving on to do bigger and better things maybe they'll come back maybe they won't maybe you've got a friend in the industry and they're like but they're leaving yeah. us and you're like mm-hmm. they're not this isn't this isn't breakup of a marriage and that's a whole separate story but this is this is someone who is transacting labor for benefit and they're going somewhere else to do it and you yeah. need to you know we need to get better at making those transitions and i just it struck me the idea of encouraging your i mean it's if nothing was going to set alarm bells off to me in an organization more, it would be my boss saying, oh, Ali's leaving next week. You're not allowed to talk to him anymore because he's going to the, um, yeah. he's going to the opposition. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. You don't, get to, you don't get to police how I go. Or even worse, Ali's leaving next week. I would imagine you don't want to talk to him because that's disloyal. I mean, mm. if anything's going to make me worry about working for an organization. So if you've heard that, uh, that would be, you know, that's my advice. That's alarm bells. Loud bells going off there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as we kind of start to move towards the end of this conversation, it'd be good to hear from you both whether you've got any thoughts of other kind of watch-out signs that might exist in an organization, uh, in somebody's experience of work, that would indicate that maybe purpose is being uh, potentially a bit exploited. What What are some of the things that will, that you could um, make your nose wrinkle at the sniff test of uh, exploitability? <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, um, it's perhaps not not a practical example, but I'll, I'll try and think of that as I'm as I'm talking about this. But um, I, I used to think of transactional relationships between 
businesses and their teams as really oh we want to move on from that don't we want we don't want transactional relationships we want transformational relationships that's how we should be thinking um and i think over the over the last year or so and even as we've been talking i feel like um it's not that there is no value in transformational relationships but i think there is we shouldn't throw transactional relationships out of the window it it what it does recognize is that the employers also have a value sorry that the employees also have a value and they have something that they can barter with that they can bargain with and that's important to recognize if we do away with that entirely then we are really setting up a situation where um that the, the power that the employee has has been eroded or at least um isn't isn't recognized so that's that's something that i think um i i want to to see continuing um in terms of answering your question properly i don't know J- um, jane have you got any um in your head and while you're talking i've got, I, I've, I've got a list oh, go um, on, I'll, go if you, I'll start you with a couple and we'll see where yeah. we get to okay. so the first for me that is a massive red flag and that i would seriously watch out for is people in your organization who are judged as less because they don't have purpose so i have worked in organizations that are incredibly passionate about what they do and I myself have thought less of someone because they are not seemingly as fu- like fulfilled by the very nature of, of what we're trying to achieve. And I think it's really easy to go there, particularly when you believe in your causes. I think I see it in a lot of the major service sectors like education. I see it in healthcare. And it, it's innately, I think it's quite a human thing to do, but we need to be really careful of it. And we need to be able to keep it in check. And if you see it sort of running around in an organization unfettered, I think that's problematic because the organization, all organizations need lots of different types of people. And it's really good to have people who are motivated by different things rather than the core central purpose. So that's number one. Number two, um, I guess, uh, and this is a shout out for all the leaders and managers in the world. Um, if you see people utilizing or talking about purpose, like it has some special power. And I, I, I like, you know, I see it where like people are recruiting for it or people are um, talking about that will make you better at certain things. And I'm not, I, 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 firstly, I'm not sure on the evidence of what it makes you better at from the actual workplace, but I would be worried if it was talked about in that way. Um, and then I'll give you one more, which I think is um, for me really, really important around like can lead organizations towards a bad pl- bad place if we're not careful. And that is um, when the person who has more purpose consistently is doing more than everyone else. And that's okay in the eyes of the organization. That is problematic for me. So kind of different sides of the coin, depending on whether you're the person with or without the purpose, mm. both of those things will worry me. Um the one that, that springs to mind for me um, is grandiosity. So I think um, our, our grandiose claims of management and the, the organization themselves, I've become so intolerant of all of that. Um, and I I also think, so. so of course you want your organization to be proud of its achievements. And I don't have a problem with organization organization saying we're the number one in this sector you know we're the best that's great i've fine i have no problem with that 
But I keep coming back to this idea that this organization is going to change the world. This is a, a revolutionary, transformational mission that we're on. Um, I think these are grandiose claims that we need to... Um, yeah, it's a red flag for me. Grandiose claims. Can I ask a quick question? I've just occurred to me. I think you're 100% right about the grandiosity. Does this mean that really... Should we be thinking about language like vision and mission in strategies and thinking that's problematic or potentially could be problematic? Um, I don't personally have a problem with that. I think uh, all a vision is, is a an imagining of what the future might hold. So that's cool. Your vision could be, for me, um, to be the third best manufacturer of socks. You know, that's fine to me. That's your vision. That's that's what you're aiming for. And I think we could all get behind that, quite frankly. Um, so vision's great. Goals to achieve those those aims, those that vision. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with any of that. I think it's the the grandiosity of it that worries me. You know, we um that even even organizations that are doing amazing things, um, they, they have a limit to what they can achieve. There is a feeling sometimes that you get swept away with this belief that oh, we can achieve anything here, anything we put our mind to. Um, so in some respects, that's laudable. But I, I think if you're being attracted to an organization that says, you know, we're, not, we're more than just an employer, we're a way of life. You know, we are we are a way to for you to find meaning and purpose and sometimes that is almost explicitly claimed um yes so the uh, so the salary might be below industry standards but what you're really going to get here is you're, you're going to become part of this wonderful organization that's going to change the world i just feel that's that is definitely a red flag yeah that doesn't pass for sniff test does it if you see no. that you you probably want to want to hang up or close that website right you, you probably do but on the other hand you don't because we're all searching for meaning and purpose oh, absolutely, absolutely so it's a great sales pitch you know and and again yeah. like the old saying is if if a job if you're looking at a job that's posted on a job website or something and the way it's worded sounds more like a sales pitch yeah, then that's great watch out that's not the job for you well i think i think there's a couple of things in there that are really interesting one is i think that um that a lot of this kind of practice comes from sales and marketing research, right? So when we think about things like Cialdini's persuasion yeah. and that research, it came from a place of marketing, right? That it Absolutely. came from a background of thinking about how do we encourage people to do things in different ways, which mm. is problematic in itself. Um, the one thing I just wanted to mention was um, when you were talking, oh, when you were talking about um, like this way of life, another red flag for me when work exists beyond work. So yeah. when they start building nurseries and great, that's support, but when it also starts providing healthcare on site or when it starts, your expectations are that you utilize services and it starts that, you know, is it right or wrong? Could it be seen as a benefit? Maybe, but as an individual, if you see work starting to sort of connect and, hmm. and interweave with other parts of your life, that's a red flag for me. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. Well, I think that's a wonderful list of things to, to watch out for. Um, I think we're just going to move on and, and wrap things up. I just want to check in. Have you got any final thoughts you want to share, Stephen, about purpose? Um, 
no, I, I think we've we've explored that really, really well. Um, he says uh, proudly um, about his, our own podcast. But um, of, of course, listeners will be the deciders of that. But I think we've covered what I wanted to cover. I think that that's, that's for me, that's um, that's addressed a lot of the question. I don't think it's an easy answer. I think we've demonstrated that, that these, these are difficult issues to grapple with. Um, and, and I suppose... I've become a bit more cynical over the years about many of these claims, and I think that's a good thing. I think we need employee employees to become a little bit more questioning about some of the claims and exactly what what it is that they're being asked to do. And I I, th- I think the more we do that, the better, really. Yeah, brilliant. Jane. My I guess my final final thoughts would be two things. One, I think certainly in the UK we're moving towards full employment, and I think that might change things. Because I think organisations will have to be uh, it's make themselves more attractive, and therefore might want to step back from it. And the other thing is that I think we uh, have a generation entering the workforce that have lived and breathed marketing and behaviour change, social media, and I think they will be much more savvy yeah. um, because they have been bred to spot holes, flaws, errors, over promising, etc. So, and they've probably all been burnt about it by it, uh, sort of in their sort of teenage years. So, I think that'll be interesting to see how that changes. Brilliant. Well, hopefully, we've not left people more confused than when they started. I think we, we <laughs> like you, Stephen. I think we had a great conversation around a really important topic. And I think, as ever, increasing awareness, knowing that these things are out there, and and navigating your own path in your career through these, weighing up what you generate from having purpose with what you feel you give as a result of having purpose is important. And I don't think there's one right answer for anyone, as we've said. I think each of us have to walk that line of what's right for us. And and we can all do that to different levels and extenses uh, and create uh, great careers for ourselves. So I think that's it for me, Stephen. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to to sort of say to um, completely um, tail the the conversations, really. This is the fourth um, and for now final um, podcast in this mini series. So we've talked about a various, uh, a variety of different things from introducing the whole subject of cults to management and purpose and so on. So we've, we've covered um, quite a lot of ground. I don't think any of us expected to have definitive answers around this but i think it's an area that will continue to be of interest and um yeah i think there's a lot more to say about it so if you as a listener have found the podcast interesting um then please let us know and um yeah you know we'll do some more if there's a, an audience i guess that that is really interested in the subject um but i just want to say thank you so much uh, Jane and James for uh, a really interesting conversation a set of conversations brilliant and thank you it's been super fun bye everyone